Hello and welcome to Church at the Bridge. Thank you so much for checking out our weekly sermon podcast. Today we're continuing with week four of our current series, Knowing God, and the title of today's message is Out of the Heart of God. We pray you enjoy today's word. Well, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Good morning for those of you joining us online. It is a true pleasure to be back together. I know that this is uh, not the ideal, but listen, we are not limited by the circumstances in this world. We're still one. We're still the body of Christ, and we're still better together. So today I'd like to continue on a series that we've been in over the last several weeks entitled Knowing God. And we've been learning a lot over the last few weeks about knowing God. The truth is this, that it's essential if we're to follow him and trust the path that he has for our lives. I want you to hear very clearly what I'm saying. If we're going to endeavor to know God, right, then it's essential for us to know God in order to trust God. Does that make sense? Right? I mean, who trusts someone they don't know? Right? And yet God wants us to know him personally. Today I'd like to talk to you on the topic of out of the heart of God. Out of the heart of God. One of the most meaningful things to us in our relationships is knowing the intentions and the motives of the people that are in our lives, right? And understanding the motives and the intentions that they have towards us. So I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about today as we kind of start digging in, right? Uh, I remember many years ago, right, many moons ago when I had hair, right, and it wasn't on my face, it was all up here, right? And I was about 50 pounds lighter, right? I remember meeting my wife, and I took note of the fact that she was beautiful, right? She was smart. She was driven, right? She, uh, she, was, uh, she, she had uh, great dreams for her life. She was different than anyone I had ever met. But it wasn't until I understood and knew what her intentions were, the intentions of her heart towards me, It wasn't until then that I began to open up my life to hers, right? So I'll give you an example of this. We we had met, right, and we were working for the same company, and her office was on 15th Street uh, on the east side in Manhattan. My office was on 35th Street on the west side, right? And so we we were kind of talking, you know, we were getting to know each other. We would talk over the phone here and there where we could. And uh, one day she calls and she says, hey, uh, what are you doing for lunch today? And I said, I don't know. She goes, what time is your lunch? I said, I guess it was 12 o'clock or something. She says, well, let me take you out to lunch. And I said to her, how is that going to work? Because you only got an hour lunch. She goes, don't worry about it. I got it all figured out. Right? So she had spoken to her boss and everything, and she got the, the flexibility. And so she came up to my job and picked me up at my job. She didn't wait for me to come downstairs. She came upstairs to get me. Right? And so then we went to this TGIF, and it probably took about a good 40 minutes for us to get our food. But during that time, I realized something. She's interested in the kid. Right? <laughs> she was really interested. Right? She wasn't just, and her interest was beyond, you know, what I look like or my personality. Like, she really wanted to know me, to know me personally. And it wasn't until I perceived the intention of her heart towards me that I was able to open up to her and grow in a relationship with her. Here we are 
20 plus years, still going strong. And it's all because her intentions were pure. And look, the same is true as it pertains to having a personal relationship with God, to knowing God. Listen, to having a long-lasting relationship with God. I want you to consider this point as we get started here today. Until you understand God's heart towards you, you will not be inclined to know God. Until you truly understand his intentions, his desires, the motives that God has towards you, you will not be inclined to know God. You may go to church. You may read your Bible. You may listen to Christian music. You may do good things. But that doesn't mean that at your heart of hearts, you'll endeavor, you'll strive, you'll press to know God. That makes sense? And so here's an important question for personal reflection as we get started today. What do you believe are God's intentions towards you? What do you believe are God's intentions towards you? Do you believe that God has good intentions towards your life? See, it's important that we honestly answer that question for ourselves because here's what it does. It reveals the quality of our trust in God and our relationship with him. Think about that, right? So I know I'm throwing a lot at you, but I want to give you an example of this. The Bible says that in the beginning at creation that God made man in his image and in his likeness. In other words, God created them to be just like him. Now, here's a radical thought. God created you to be just like him. The scriptures say this, that as he is, so are you right now in this world, right? And so there's a likeness within you. For the person who doesn't know Christ, they may not know, they may not understand, they may not even believe in God. And look, there's no judgment. I'm not judging anybody for that. But what I want you to know, whether you believe in Christ or you don't, is this, that God's plan is still the same. He wants you to be like him. He wants you to know his good purposes, right? And so in the beginning, mankind had authority, right? God gave them dominion as it pertained to all matters of creation on earth, right? And man had a deep and personal relationship with God. God had nothing but good intentions for mankind, for all of us. But unfortunately, the scripture reveals to us in Genesis 3 that Satan introduced a great lie that even till this day is affecting our lives. Listen to what I'm saying. Um, so the Bible says that God told Adam and Eve, hey, here's all this creation. It's all yours. Rule and reign. Take dominion. And he says, but there's one thing I don't want you to do. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You know why? When it's that good, why do you need to know evil? Why do you have to even desire to know that, right? That wisdom wasn't necessary. And so the scriptures say in Genesis chapter 3, verses 4 through 10, that something happens. Let's, let's see what happens. Starting at verse 4, it says, this is Satan speaking. It says, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open. Listen closely. And you will be like God. Lie number one. They were already like God. Right? Knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. Lie number two. They already had all the wisdom they needed in their personal relationship with God. Right? It says she took some and ate it. 
And she also gave some to her husband, Adam, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Line number three. All of a sudden, they believed they had to hide from God. They believed that they could hide from God. Now, watch this. Watch this. Listen to this. So the man and, the, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But, somebody say, but. This is a big but. Let, let's get back to the text, ladies and gentlemen. Stick, stick with the text. All right. Listen to what it says. But the Lord God called to the man. Don't miss what just happened here. The Lord God called to the man. Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. And so I hid. Listen, Satan deceived Adam and Eve by bringing into question God's intentions. Listen to what he says. He says, God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like him. Adam and Eve had everything. They were lacking nothing. But they became convinced that Satan's lie, that God was withholding something from them. Listen, as a result, here's what happened. They took matters into their own hands. Listen, where they were once united and one, now they were divided and in destruction. Where they were once in perfect harmony and had communication, now they had dysfunction and miscommunication. Where they once had full confidence in God, now they mistrusted God and took their lives into their own hands. To make matters worse, they went from being comfortable in who they were and how they were viewed in God's eyes to running from him. And what I want you to see here is this. It's a sad story that is still unfolding until this day and age. Where people misunderstand God's intentions, his nature, and his character. And they are losing out on a personal relationship with him. Listen, I get it. There's some religious people that they preach fire and brimstone. And to them, the gospel is you're going to hell. I got good news for you. It is the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. The goodness of God. The grace of God. The love of God. Out of that comes out a changed life, a transformed understanding. And the good news in the midst of this tragedy is this, that just as God sought them out and remained in relationship with them after their fall, God is seeking all of us out for the purpose of relating to us and becoming known to us personally. Listen. You might feel like you've messed up one too many times. Let me tell you, that is impossible. What God did is enough to receive you, to embrace you, to heal you, and to transform your life. So, I think it's important to look at just some portions of Scripture as to the intentions of God's heart. And I want to quickly go through these. Jeremiah 29, verses 10 through 13 says, starting at verse 10, this is what the Lord says. So, who said this? The Lord, right? That's an important point. It says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise 
to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Now listen, Jeremiah 29, 11 is a scripture favorite for many people. People have tattoos on it. They put it in their car stickers. People, you know, say, that's my go-to scripture. That's my scripture. And that's great. But you have to understand the context of this verse to truly appreciate it. The context is this. The people of Israel were, were, were placing great confidence in false messengers. They're in exile. And they're turning to men. They're turning to pagan gods for the purpose of trying to hear from God. In other words, they were bypassing hearing God, bypassing what he was trying to show them, bypassing a relationship with God as a whole. And they were looking for something in its place to be God in their life. And what's interesting is that God's plans cannot be found in the hearts of men. Man, I pray that if you came here today and you're listening to this message or you're joining us online, that you are not listening to me so that you can hear God. I pray that that's not where your heart is. Because you're bypassing God. You're settling for what I got to say instead of what God's word has to say. And that's where these people were going wrong. And so in response to this error, God reveals himself to them by declaring his intentions towards them. He says... I know the plans I have for you. Here you are going to men, and I'm the one that knows is what God's saying. I know the plans I have for you. I want you to see something according to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, that God's intentions are for your prosperity. God's intentions do provide you hope. And God's intentions define a better path for your future. But like the people of Israel, if we could just put up verse 12, I want you to see something. That like the people of Israel, it's when we grasp that truth, God's intentions, that we too will then call on God and come to him, draw near, and we will seek him with all our hearts and know him. God's intentions towards you are always good. God's not behind this coronavirus. God's not behind the division in this country. God is not judging this country. The day of judgment has been apportioned to another day. Right now, we are in a dispensation of God's grace. Right now, we are in a time where God is still patient and reaching out to all men because he desires that none should perish, but that all would know the goodness of God and have eternal lasting life. That's where we are today. That's where God is working. God's not judging people. God's not dividing people. God's not inflicting sickness upon people. That's not a good God. Would you do that to your children? I beg to differ. How much more so are we in error to believe that God would use tragedy and calamity and destruction to teach us his goodness? You know what I'd do in that case? I'd run. Yeah. And so look. God's intentions are for your prosperity, they provide you hope, and they define a better path for your future. But it isn't until you know the intentions of God's heart towards you that you'll draw near to him. Listen to John 
chapter 6, verses 48 through 51. I'll give you some background here just for the sake of time. Jesus is speaking to a group of people. He's been approached by a group of people who were previously present when he performed a great miracle of uh, multiplying uh, five loaves of bread and two pieces of fish. And so these people now come to Jesus, but their agenda is not to be with Jesus. Their agenda is they have no interest in Jesus. All they want is bread. And Jesus responds to them while perceiving the intentions of their heart. He says, I am the bread of life in John chapter 6, 48. He says, your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. Notice it says anyone. It's not just you, Christian. This is for the world. Right? He says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats from heaven, whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Now, what I want you to see here is this, that these people were seeking Jesus because they wanted bread. But they were missing out on God. They were missing out on a real relationship. They were stuck. And in response to them, Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. This is the solution. Whoever eats, whoever partakes of a personal relationship with me, according to the scripture, he says, will live forever. That term, live forever, there in the Greek is very important because it means to be refreshed. It means to be strengthened, to be made efficient. But it also speaks of enjoying real life. It speaks of a life that's made active and blessed in an endless manner of living according to God's kingdom. See, longevity and quality are important to relationships. Would you agree? Right? You're not in this for the short term. If you're going to be in relationship with someone that you care, right, you're in this for the long haul. That's the commitment we make, right? We declare them in marriage vows. We make sacrifices in an attempt to ensure them. But no one is able to fulfill these needs like God. And this is what Jesus is getting at. He says, I'm what you need. For life evermore. And so see, God's intentions towards you reveal that he is committed to you. I want you to consider that. God is committed to you. The Bible says that even when we are unfaithful, he is faithful. He remains faithful. That's a committed God. He says that he's in this with you forever. Man, I pray that if, if, I, were, if I were where you are, I'd be making backflips right now. I'd be doing some backflips, I'd be doing a shimmy, I'd be doing a crazy praise, right? Because God is committed to you. Listen, you might be looking for commitment from a man. You might be looking for a commitment from a group of people. You might be looking for commitment from certain circles and different arenas in life. Don't miss that God is faithful and is truly committed to you, even when you're not. That's good stuff. In John 15, verses 13 through 14, Jesus says this. He says, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Now listen, this is a well-known verse, right? This is, this is a commonly used verse to convey our need to love one another. And look, the truth is that we should. We really should. But the thing is this, the origins of this verse are crucial if we're to apply it to our own lives. You got to understand something. Jesus states that the pinnacle, the high point, right, the, the, the epicenter, the, the central point 
The focus of love is the life of a person who lays down his life for his friends. But get this. He's talking about himself. He's talking about himself. I'll prove it to you. After that, he says, you are my friends. See what he's saying? He's saying, I laid down my life for you. So this brings us to the power that drives all of God's intentions towards us. It's love. It's pure, unmitigated, untarnished love. It's the love of God. Listen, I know that that talk about God's love has become cliche in this day and age. Right? It's on shirts. It's on billboards. I mean, God loves you. God loves you. We kind of just say it, you know, you know with, with, with no real care even in these days. I'm not saying that that's where you are. But there's some people that approach it that way. But I want you to see that God's intentions towards you are purely driven by his love for you. And that's important because sometimes God is leading us in a direction that we don't like. God is teaching us something that we don't want to hear. God is showing us a new path that we don't want to undertake. And we get mad at God unjustly. We forget that God loves us. And because he loves us, he's always good. And because he's always good, we can trust his leadership. Amen. And so as we, we come to a close here in the last couple of moments that I have here, I want to share with you some practical steps, three practical steps about our response to God's intentions and why it matters. Because the truth is that our response to God's intentions do matter. Right? What's coming out of God's heart requires a response. It should produce a response in us. And so the first thing I want to leave you with here is this, that you should go with what you know. Now, hear me clearly. Because for some of us, what we know hasn't been working. And that's not what I'm talking about. Let's look to the scriptures in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. It says, and we know that in all things, and how many things? Somebody say all. All. Go ahead and type all if you're joining us. Listen, in all things, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now listen, this is a powerful verse because it tells us a few things. Number one, it tells us that God is working on our behalf. You don't have to feel it. It might not make sense. You may not see it. You may question it. That does not stop God from doing his job. He already did his part. He gave Christ, and he's given us his great and precious promises. Right? So we have all that we need. Number two, we see that his work is for our good. Now, I don't know if you believe that. And I'm not questioning your belief in that. But if you truly believe that everything that God does towards you is good, then here's where the rubber meets the road. You'd never doubt him. You'd never question his motives. You'd never have to get confirmation. <laughs> right? 
you'd never have to approach it like Gideon. Well, God, you know, I'm going to flip this blanket over, you know, and prove to me. If, if it's so, then do this. And after he's done that, because he's that good, all right, God, you know what? I just want to make sure. Listen, God is sure of his will and his purposes for your life. They are good. But the thing is this. We have to focus on what we know about how God works. And see, the thing is this. Before you can even focus on that, you have to know for yourself personally. The Apostle Paul says, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Listen, this is a guy who's undergoing persecution, has been beat multiple times, has been left for dead, has been shipwrecked, right, has been persecuted for the gospel's sake. This is a person who's uh, 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 enacted miracles on behalf of God, and yet those same people are the ones that sought to, to martyr him and kill him. And yet he says this. In all those things, God is still good. And he's still working for my good. Now listen, that is a place of maturity that we should all aspire to. That's a place in life that we should all want to get. Where no matter what's happening around me, God, you're still good. And I know that no matter what it looks like, God, you're still working for my good. You're still working for my good. So listen, if you struggle with a belief that God is good towards you, things will always turn bad for you. Not because God is inflicting anything wrong on you or he's doing bad towards you, no. But because you'll miss the good things that God has already prepared for you, that he's stored up for you. Do you realize that the scripture says that his word is a lamp to our feet? If you just took the goodness of God, if you just saw life in light of what Christ has done and you took one step with that, guess what would happen? You'd see something more. And if then you just took another step trusting in the goodness of God, you would discover a great life. You would discover good purposes for your life. You would discover the destiny that God has for you. You would walk in all the goodness of God and bring goodness into the lives of men and be a shining example of the power of God in the life of a person. That's what this world needs. And so listen, stick with this simple and powerful truth. God is always good towards you. Say that with me. God is always good towards me. Now, I want to encourage you to weigh those words. And I want you to take a moment to consider this. Do you believe that? you believe that? The second thing I want to leave you with here today is that you have to let your trust in God go beyond words. Listen to Isaiah 26 verses 3 through 4. I'm reading from the Amplified. It says, you will keep in perfect and constant peace the one whose mind is steadfast, that is committed and focused on you in both inclination and character. Because he trusts and take refuge in you with hope and confident expectation. Verse 4 says, trust confidently in the Lord forever. He is your fortress, your shield, and your banner. For the Lord God is an everlasting rock. The rock of the ages. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever said these words? 
I trust you, God. Wait, wait, before you jump in and answer that. You ever said, I trust you, God, but you didn't mean it? You ever been there? I've been there. I've been there. Think about it. While professing trust in God, you're thinking about how to conjure up your own solution. How are you going to make it work? Right? You're stressing about your problems. You're making something happen. And we've all been there. It's called trust limited to words. Right? That's what it is. It's trust limited to words. It sounds good. It makes me feel justified somehow, but there's no trust in it. And the thing is that verse 3 provides us a key to living with genuine trust in God, to knowing God. It tells us that we can live with God's perfect peace as our mind is, remains steadfast on him. Now listen closely. We're not talking about mere words here. We're talking about this becoming a part of our character and our own inclinations, our motives and desires. That word mind there is important in the Hebrew because it's a place of formation, a framework according to a purpose or imagination. Let me, let me explain that to you. A couple of years back when we first started uh, and we came into this building, this building was a mess, right? It was a wreck. It was bad. Some of you have been around long enough that you remember this facility. It was bad in every regard. We dialed it up as best we could back then, but we wanted a, we had a classroom upstairs that we still use, but we had all of our little guys, our bridge kids, up there. So they were crowded, so we needed room. So we said, you know what, we're going to renovate the basement. Now that sounds great, but we had no money. We had no ability to do it, or so we thought. So one day I go down there in the midst of frustration, and I'm looking at this basement, and I'm standing there with my wife. And all of a sudden, I begin to see something different. I see past the water damage. I see past the rotten walls. I see past all the garbage that was down there. I see past all that. And my wife begins to say to me, hey, we can put a classroom right here. We can do this here. We can paint these walls this way. We can put bathrooms here. What if we split it? And I'm saying to myself, I could see that. That could work. Now, mind you. Still got no money to do this. It's about $20,000 to get this done. We actually priced it out. But I said, Lord, I don't know where this is going to come from, but Lord, I do believe that it's possible. Would you know that a couple of weeks after that, a buddy of mine calls me who was a pastor at another church, and he says to me, hey, man, uh, how are things going? And I said, oh, great. He goes, how, how, how's it going? How are the kids adjusting? I said, it's, it's great. You know, we got a little classroom. We got some plans. He says, well, tell me more about that. I lay it out for him, and I tell him, yeah, this is what we're envisioning. A couple of days after that, he calls me. He says to me, hey, Jose, call a contractor. Have him call me. Get that project started. 20 grand. It started off with 8 grand. That was just the bathrooms. That was 8,000 just for bathrooms. No, 12,000 just for bathrooms. Just for bathrooms. They were that bad. But $20,000, and I'm going to tell you why I share that story with you. Because the framework for it was like the walls that went up. See, all God says is, believe me, trust me, imagine according to my word. Right? The Bible says that God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above, beyond what you could ask or imagine according to the work in you. 
And so God says, just give me something to work with. Focus your attention upon me and watch the walls as I place them up. Watch my provision in place. Right? And so listen, you got to let your trust go beyond words. We've got to begin to believe and see in a world where we trust what everybody tells us we can see. Right? The last thing I want to leave you with here today is simply this. It's that we shouldn't go in search. Don't go in search of what you already have with God. Don't go in search of what you already have with God. Listen to what I'm saying here. Knowing God provides a great supply for all your needs in life. It really does. Adam and Eve had everything in the garden. They had provision. They had authority. They had significance. They had purpose. They were safe. They had relationship with God. But it all went wrong when they went in search of something they already possessed with God. They were already wise with Christ, with God. They were already wise. It says that the wisdom of God is made known to us in Christ Jesus. They had God himself. They had it all. They lived in perfect harmony. And they knew the one thing that they needed. The goodness of God. But then they went in search of that somewhere else. And it all went wrong. The Bible says that when the woman, Genesis 3, 6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, she took her heart off God and she went with her eyes. It says, and that it was also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Eve fell for the lie that God and his wisdom were lacking. And she began to seek that somewhere else. As a result, it led to their demise. I want to leave you with this scripture as we close. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 5 says this. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves. Listen closely. But our sufficiency is of God. These words were penned by inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the heart of a man named Paul. And this man was a man who was reliant upon God and his leading in his life. In his day, there were many that rose claiming to have a greater revelation of God. And these people commended themselves to God's people. Basically, what they did was they showed up and said, look at me. Look at my new teaching. Look at the revelation that I got. And these, these men ultimately failed in their endeavors towards God. But Paul went on to be used in great power by God and to see great miracles through the ministry that was entrusted to him. But I'm going to tell you why. The source of all this in his life lay in the fact that Paul knew what God had shown him. Paul knew what God was teaching him. And Paul knew what God desired for his life. And he says this, it's enough. It's sufficient. God, you are good towards me. Listen close, ladies and gentlemen, as we close here. Don't replace 
your sufficiency in Christ for anything else. God's heart towards you is good. And it's for the purpose that you would draw near to him and know him. Let's stand here together. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning in the mighty and precious name of Jesus. Lord, we're so grateful. Right there, right now, right where you are, in your homes, right here as you're here present. Take a moment to get real with God. And to look at yourself and simply answer this question for yourself. Do I truly believe that your intentions towards me are all good? That you truly love me without conditions that you accept me? Right here, right now. Father, we come to you in the precious and mighty name of Jesus. And because we have heard your word, Lord, and your word gives us sure, precious promises. Promises that tell us that your intentions towards us are good. Lord, today we respond to you and we say we believe. We believe. We put our trust in you. We, we, we endeavor from this day forward to know you and to draw near to you. Trusting in the fact that you do not reject us, but that according to your word that we can come boldly before your throne and we find mercy and grace there always. It's very possible that there's someone joining us here today or maybe you're online with us and you're hearing this word and you've never considered God's intentions towards you. Maybe you've believed in a God that was based on religion and iron brimstone. Maybe you've believed that God was the hammer and you're the nail. Well, today I want to simply say this to you. It's God's goodness that leads you to change. God's not mad at you. God's not judging you. God's not condemning you. John 3.17 tells us that God sent his son not to condemn the world, but to save it. See, it's a loving God that we have today. And today God invites you into a personal relationship with him. If you believe that God's calling you today, then I want you to pray a prayer of faith with us. It, simp it simply goes like this. Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God. And I believe that you love me so much that you paid the price for sin in my place by dying. And you rose again to prove that I too can rise and have a new life. I accept you this day as my Lord and Savior. I call you my God. And from this day forward, I put my trust in you. If you prayed that with us today, if you believe that in your heart today, then from this point forward, you have a personal relationship with God. And I encourage you to press towards the mark of knowing God and knowing God only. It'll lead you to better places. Father, today we celebrate all that you've done in Christ. We say we love you, we praise you, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for joining us.